Good morning. Good morning to those of you online. Uh, Good morning to everyone in the room. So wonderful to see so many of you today as we gather to sing his praises, to worship his name, and to declare his goodness. I want to begin at the moment, just, just at the beginning, to pause for just a moment, and I want to encourage you to think about the highlight of your week. Now, I hope that you had a fantastic week and that it's just hard to pick one thing that's the highlight of your week. But even if you didn't have a very good week and you're scratching your head a little bit, I would submit to you that the last 20 minutes have been a highlight of my week, just being able to praise God together with you. Um, So think about the highlight of your week. And once you've got that figured out, now I want you to write a little thank you note to God. It's really simple. Just find a piece of paper. Maybe it looks like this. Turn it over on the back and write, God, thank you for... And then the highlight of your week. Got some conscientious objectors, I see. That's okay. But for those of you that are willing to write out a short little prayer that just says, God, thank you for, and then the highlight of your week, you just accomplished two really cool things. One, you prayed. That's a prayer. Saying to God, thank you for something is a prayer. And you journaled. And I think journaling is a fantastic tool that we can use to grow in our prayer life to increase our connection with God. That's one of the things that we've been talking about in this series, Can You Hear Me Now?, which wraps up today. And we're always looking in this series to increase our connection with God. We want to grow closer to God. We want to grow more closely connected with God. And we've talked about that a number of different ways. We started out by looking at this idea that, that God is always speaking, He's always speaking. And so anytime we tune our attention to him, we can hear him because he is always speaking through his word, through others, through his spirit in prayer. God is always speaking and he's always listening. He's always listening. Anytime that we cry out to him, anytime we offer a prayer to him, he is listening. He is listening to hear from us. And so the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at increasing our reception to hear what he is saying better and boosting our signal to communicate what's on our hearts to God more clearly. And a couple of really big ideas from this series. If you missed a week or two, they're all available online. I would encourage you to go and miss and catch up with the ones that you missed. But if you missed a week or two, there's a couple of really big ideas in this series. The first is that communion with God is the goal of prayer. We've been talking about that each week, that, that the goal of prayer is communion with God. It's, it's making us one with God. It's helping us to become common and have a common union with God. That's what we're after in prayer. That's the goal of prayer. It's not necessarily to get what we want, even though we make our request to God. It's not necessarily to make our complaint before him, even though sometimes we do that and we see people in scripture doing that. Communion with God, conversation about matters of mutual significance, of matters of mutual importance. That's what prayer is all about. And the second one there listed on that slide is that prayer is the language of faith. Prayer is how we grow our faith. It's one of the ways that we communicate to God and we hear from God is through prayer. Prayer is the language of faith. And so last week we looked at a psalm, Psalm 25, that really shows us how to pray in a way that affirms and increases our faith. And so that's where we've been so far. Today, we are going to answer a question that I asked back in week one. As I introduced this series, I asked a bunch of different questions. And the last question I asked was, is there a, a way that we can always reestablish our connection with God? If we get off 
base, if we stop listening to the God who is always speaking or we stop speaking to the God who is always listening, is there a way that we can always reestablish our connection with God? And I believe there is. And so we're going to talk today about the power of praise, the power of praise, because praise is that one thing that always reestablishes our connection with God, because he is always worthy of the praise that we can bring to him. He is always worthy of gratitude and thanksgiving and worship. He is always worthy of us extending a blessing to him. And when we do those things, it's like we're doing what we were created to do. We were literally created to praise God, created to worship God. And when we direct our attention to praising him and to worshiping him, it reestablishes our connection. It puts him in the rightful place in our lives. And so that word praise, you can think of it a number of different ways. It involves worship. It involves thanksgiving. It involves gratitude. We're coming around the home stretch into Thanksgiving. I hope you got your turkey or your ham or both in our case. I hope that you're excited about, about the opportunity to, to focus on gratitude and thanksgiving. And praise is one of the ways that we do that. But praise also involves celebration. It involves bless, blessing God, blessing others. Those are ways that we praise God. It involves giving glory to the one to whom it is due. Giving glory to God because all the glory belongs to him. So we're going to base this uh, message on Psalm 103. Psalm 103. Uh, You might have noticed when you came in, sermon notes on the seat. That's a little different. We haven't done that before. I don't know that we're going to do it again real soon, but when you're going to preach a 15-point sermon as a pastor, you better give them some blanks to fill in because otherwise they're going to get a cramp in their hand from writing everything down. So I tried to kind of summarize it, give you some space. For those of you that are regular note takers, there's little room in the margins and there's space in between each line. You can jot down a couple other notes. There's always pads in the seats in front of you that you can grab a pad and make a note. So I want to encourage you, if you're not normally a note taker, maybe try something different today. Maybe take some notes. Maybe write down, fill in the blanks. See if you can catch them all, right? Uh, We're going to move through it pretty quickly because if I spend five, ten minutes on every point, we'll be here until Thanksgiving, okay? Um, So I'm going to begin with this Psalm 103, which is on page 939 in your blue Bibles here in the room. Those of you online, we're going to have all the verses on the screen, but I encourage you to open up a Bible and have it with you. Uh, this This is David giving us a template for praise, Last week, he gave us a template for for boosting our signal, for praying in a way that increases and affirms our faith. Uh, Today, we're going to look at Psalm 103, a psalm of David that really shows us how to praise God and all the reasons to praise God. And so it begins with three practical how-tos of praise, and then it moves into the heart of this psalm, which is really focused on all the reasons to give praise. God pray. So we'll, we'll follow that format as well. Verse 1 and 2, we see three practical how-tos in praising God. So let's read those verses and then look at those practical how-tos. First, we praise, we, we read these words from David. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul. And forget not all his benefits. So the first thing that we see here, it's in the first phrase, is that we must decide to praise God. We must decide to praise God. We see this in verse 1 and in verse 2. Praise the Lord, O my soul. And we see it at the very end of this psalm, in verse 22, the last phrase of this psalm. Even though the psalm is over, the praising isn't over. David is continuing to instruct his soul to praise God. He's made a decision. 
an act of the will that he is going to praise God and he is instructing his soul, commanding his soul to bless God, to celebrate God's goodness, to give thanks. And he does it at the beginning and the end. It's sort of like the bookends of this great psalm are the command that David gives himself to praise God. He has decided. And this is important because I believe that praise doesn't happen by accident. Praising God does not happen by accident. By nature, I don't know about you, but I tend to praise myself. And I praise lesser things. And I praise counterfeit gods. And I praise, you know, I saw a picture that just put this, so it, it was all these fans sitting and and watching a football game, and they're covered in snow, and they're all bundled up, you know? And, and it just said, man, I, I wish people were this devoted to go to church, right? Because, like, these guys are freezing to death, paying good money to do it. And uh, the things that might keep us from coming to praise God are quite a bit smaller. This doesn't happen by accident. We have to make a decision. We have to intentionally choose to praise God sometimes. Sometimes we feel like it. Sometimes it just wells up within us. Other times we have to make a decision. Other times we have to choose and say, God, you are worthy of the praise whether I feel like it or not. We have to decide. We have to intend to. We've talked about intention every week in this series because increasing our connection with God happens when we intend to increase our connection with God because he's always speaking and he's always listening. So the fault doesn't come on his end. It comes on ours. And so intention is so powerful. And I've said before, I'm sure I'll say it again, adults do what adults intend to do. If you really intend to do something and set your sights on it and make it a priority, it generally gets done. But if we don't have intention, if we don't intend to do something, it generally doesn't happen or it doesn't happen consistently. So the first thing that we do, the first thing is we decide to praise God. Number two, we desire to praise God. We make the decision with our heads, but we also desire to do it with our hearts. In verse 1, at the second part of verse 1, he says, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. He's saying to himself, to his inner parts, to his inward being, to everything that's within him, praise his holy name. He's talking about desire. This word literally means the middle or the midst. Sometimes it's translated as entrails. Or guts. He's basically saying, hey, guts, you praise God too. Not just with the head, but with the heart, with the soul, with the passion. We praise God. We desire to praise God. One of our core values is centering our lives on the word. That it's not something that's peripheral to our lives. That we are centered on the word of God. That we draw our our basis of activity, the things that we do, the things that we value from God's word. We center our lives on God's word. Not that it's something that we consult every now and then. And I think praise should be the same for us, that we should praise God from the core of our being, from who, for who he is, from all that we are. I believe he's referring to desire. I believe he's referring to his heart, to his, his passion, his want to. How many of you have kids and you finally get them convinced to do something? They say, fine, I'll do it, but I don't want to. We should never praise God this way, okay? Like, we should want to. And we're going to talk about all the reasons that we should want to in the second half of this message. But we should desire to do so. And and one final reason that we should desire to praise God is that he can tell when we don't. He can tell when our hearts aren't in it. Isaiah 29, 13, God speaks to the nation of Israel through the prophet Isaiah and says, These people come near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts 
are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. God can tell. And he is so good. And he is so wonderful. And he is so merciful. And he is so all the things that we're going to talk about today that we should desire to praise him. And the only reason we wouldn't is if we forget how good he is. That's the last one. We need to remember to praise God. Remember to praise God. In verse 2, he says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Don't forget. Don't forget all the good things that have come into our lives because of God. Don't forget the redemption and the salvation that is ours through Jesus Christ. Don't forget. Remember, remember to praise him. Make it a priority. Make it something that you intend to do and you remember to do. And after he says, forget not all his benefits, he's talking to his soul again, (laughs) talking to his inward being again. Then he lists them all out and verses 3 through 19 are listing all the reasons to praise God. So I think he's engaging his mind here. And just in these first few verses, we see him basically following the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. His inward being is his heart and his strength. His mind and his soul are engaged. He is choosing and deciding to praise God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. To love God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he shows us how to do that as well. And so the remainder of this message, we're going to look at all the reasons David lists to praise God, to bless God, to celebrate God. And so verses 3 through 19 list these out, and I've found at least 12 here. I want to challenge you, though. I want to challenge you to find one or two or, or four or five or eight or ten more of these. And I want you to send me an email and say, hey, Pastor Mark, you missed one. In verse such and such, it says to do this or it calls out this thing about God. And I'm going to praise him for that this week. And so I want you to find a couple other ones in here. I tried to find at least one thing in every verse. And so all 12 verses are covered here. Some verses more than once. But I want you to find something else. And I would encourage you, if you're looking for something to, to really draw you into the spirit of thanksgiving, to maybe use this as a, as a devotional. Use this little outline as a devotional. And each day for the next 12 days, you could call it the 12 days of thanksgiving instead of the 12 days of Christmas, you focus on one of these. You read the verse or two. You look at other verses in, in Scripture, parallel passages, and you focus on these different attributes of God, and you praise Him, and you give Him thanks for those things. You could even put this on your Thanksgiving dinner table. And at some point during the meal, don't do it when the food is hot and people haven't eaten yet because they are not going to be very happy with you and they're not going to want to take very long. But at some point, when things are starting to wind down and before the turkey coma sits in, you get this out and you say, you know, our pastor talked about at least 12 reasons that we should praise God. And you list those out, maybe read this psalm and ask people to say, which one of those resonates with you most deeply? That might be a great way to bring this true spirit of thanksgiving into your Thanksgiving meal. But our bottom line today, and I'm going to give you the bottom line now and I'll give you it at the end in case you miss it. But the bottom line today is that God is so good, we've got to be grateful. God is so good. And this psalm makes that so clear that we've got to be grateful. Now, I know that the grammar is a little dubious, but the alliteration is pretty cool, and it rolls right off the tongue, and it will stick in your mind. If you will say this a couple of times in the next day or two, God is so good that we've got to be grateful. That will work its way into your heart and into your mind. 
And so the first thing that we praise God for, we see this in verse 3, we also see it in verse 12, is his forgiveness. We thank God for his forgiveness. David starts here. David was a forgiven man. He understood that he had sinned and that his sin had separated him from God and that God's grace and salvation had come to him and God's forgiveness had come to him. And if you want to focus on this one, jot down Psalm 32 in your, mem- in, in your margins there and look at Psalm 32, verses 1 through 5 are just beautiful. Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven. Blessed is the man. Oh, this is such a, such a powerful statement here. And he begins with this in verse 3. He said, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases? He's talking about God. He's listing out his benefits. And he says, he forgives all your sins. And in verse 12, he continues. He says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I love that. I love the imagery. And you know what's significant about the imagery? I'm pretty sure I've shared this before, but maybe not here. I'm glad he doesn't say as far as the north is from the south. Just think about this for a minute. If you, if you walk out of here and you start going north, I think north is kind of that way from where we are, you can go north for a long time, can't you? You think it's cold here? Wait until you go north for a while. But there will come a point when you will reach the North Pole, when you will get as far north as you can go, and you will have nowhere to go but south, won't you? Think about this the other way. What if you come out of here and you turn right and you start going east? And you go east and you go east and you go east and you get all the way to the water and you keep going east. You charter a boat, you get on a plane, you go east and east and east. You can come all the way back around to Sioux Falls and you can still be going east. You will never have to stop going east. He separated our sins as far as the east is from the west. That's good news. That's good news. So David begins by praising God for his forgiveness and he moves right on to healing very, very quickly in verse 3. The second half of verse 3, he forgives all our sins and he also heals all our diseases. Now sometimes he uses doctors to heal our diseases. Sometimes he uses medicine to heal our diseases. Sometimes he uses miracles to heal our diseases. And sometimes, even though we wish this wasn't the case, sometimes he uses death to heal our diseases. We've been promised that there is an eternity awaiting us where there is no sickness, there is no death, there is no pain, there is no sorrow, there is no disease, that there is a final act of healing that awaits us and that he will heal all our diseases. If we are in Christ, if we have received the good news of the gospel, if we have taken his gracious gift and applied it to ourselves, to our sin, then he will heal all our diseases eventually. Number three, number three, we praise God for his redemption. This goes along with his forgiveness. This goes along with the gospel, with the good news of the gospel. He redeems our lives from the pit, David says, and crowns us with love and compassion. We praise God for his redemption. To redeem something means literally to change ownership, that we were, that we were, we were lost and he redeemed us. He paid the penalty for our sin. He paid to ransom us and bring us into his family and to give us a glorious inheritance. We praise God for his redemption that he has redeemed us. Number four, we praise God for his love. We see this in verse four as well. Not only does he redeem our lives from the pit as if that was not enough, he also crowns us with love and compassion. He puts a crown on our head. He redeems us from the pit. He pulls us up from the pit. He pays the penalty for our sin and he crowns us with love and compassion, we're told. 
In verse 8, he continues this theme. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. There it is again. Verse 11. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. Kind of like the east is from the west versus the north from the south. You know what's so significant about this idea that as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for us? Is that the heavens, in the Hebrew sense, there were three heavens. There was the first heavens, which is the air you and I breathe right here around us, the atmosphere around us. Then there was the middle heavens, and then there was the highest heavens. And God's love is higher than the highest heavens, but it's also right here, right where we need it. The atmosphere around us, his love is surrounding us. It's all around us and it's higher. It goes higher than the highest heavens. And then verse 17, as if you thought we were done talking about love, there's one more reference to his love in this great psalm. From everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's Children, praise God for his love, for his limitless, unconditional, sacrificial love, which we see most clearly in the person of Jesus Christ, leaving heaven behind, coming and living in this fallen world, living a perfect life, never sinning, never falling short, so that he could be the perfect offering for all the sin of all the world, that any who come to him will experience this grace, this salvation, this redemption, this forgiveness that is available to us. This is the good news of the gospel. It's all rooted in his love. And we see it most clearly in the person of Jesus Christ. Number five, praise God for his compassion. His compassion as if the love wasn't enough. There's there's this compassion thrown in on top of it that there's compassion in verse four. He doesn't just redeem our lives from the pit. He doesn't just crown us with love. He also crowns us with compassion, that he has compassion for us. To have compassion means to see a need and be moved to meet it. Compassion is not passive. Compassion is moved to meet a need in the life of another, to put feet to the feelings. In verse 8, we see the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. He moves to meet the needs that we have, the needs of our souls, the needs of our souls for eternity. He's compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. And then verse 13 and 14. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we're formed. He remembers that we're dust. We are in need of his compassion and he is moved to meet that need. Praise God for his compassion. Number six, I ran out of fingers and I'm not going to do this because I'll get confused. Praise him for his goodness. Number six, praise him for his goodness. We sang that beautiful song that Cheryl led about God's goodness, that it's pursuing us, it's running after us. I love the image of that, that his goodness is not passive, like, okay, there's some goodness here if you want to come and get it. No, his goodness is running after us. He's moved by compassion to come to us and to bring his goodness into our lives. Jesus left heaven behind to come to us and bring his goodness into the world, to bring light into the world. Praise God for his goodness. Verse 5, we're told that he satisfies our desires with good things so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. You know who doesn't satisfy your desires with good things? God's enemy. He tries to satisfy your desires with bad things and to increase our desire for bad things. He's always at work. He's always trying to get us off the good to the not quite as good or off the good to the bad. 
And he increases our desires for the bad things, but not God. God's desire for us is always good. And he satisfies our desires with good things. When we direct our desires to him, like Psalm 37 says, that when we delight in the Lord, he gives us the desires of our heart. He satisfies the desires of our heart. This is how God works. Everything that he wants for us is good. There's nothing he wants for us that isn't good. And he will satisfy our desires when we place them in his hands. Number seven, praise God for his righteousness. Praise God for his righteousness. He is righteous. He never does the wrong thing. Verse six tells us the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. And verse 17 and 18 says, from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. It's talking about the justice and the virtue of God, that, that his righteousness is with us. We can praise God for his righteousness. We can praise God that he always does the right thing, that we never have to wonder if he's going to do the wrong thing. He always does the right thing, so much so that we can figure out what the right thing is by looking at God and seeing his justice and his righteousness. Number eight, number eight, praise God for his revelation. We see this in verse seven. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. He revealed his ways. He revealed himself. I've said before, I believe the first act of love that God ever gave to humans was revealing himself to them. He didn't have to do that. And in our finite capacities, we would not have come to an awareness of God apart from his revealing himself to us. He revealed himself to us because he loved us and because he wanted us to know our purpose and and wanted us to be in relationship with him. He created us for that. We praise God for his revelation. Isaiah 55, and Jesus quotes Isaiah 55 in several of the gospels, declares that that his thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways. But he reveals his thoughts to us so that his thoughts can become our thoughts and he reveals his ways to us so that his ways can become our ways. And what are his ways? Well, we've been talking about them all morning. His ways are forgiving and healing and redeeming and loving and being compassionate and being good and being righteous and revealing himself to us and the others that we will look at as well. Those are his ways and he reveals his ways to us so that we can incorporate his ways into our lives and so that we can become more like Jesus, making his ways our ways and his thoughts our thoughts. We praise God for his revelation. Now, verse 9 We praise God for his grace. We praise God for his grace. I'm sorry, number nine. It's actually verse eight. Number nine, we praise God for his grace. Verse eight says the Lord is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in love. He's gracious. To be gracious means you give people what they don't deserve. He gives unmerited favor to us, favor we could never deserve. Our sins have separated us from God, but he pursued us in love through Jesus Christ to bring us into the family of God. That's grace. He is compassionate and gracious. Gracious is used in the adjective here, describing God. It's part of his character. It's not just that he has unmerited favor for us, but he's eager to give it to us. He wants us to have it. He's not stingy with it. It's not like, well, this section gets grace this week, and then this section gets grace next week, and this section the following week, and on down, and you guys will be sometime after Christmas. You'll get grace again. There's plenty of grace to go around. He is gracious, and he is limitless in his grace, and he longs for us to come to him and to receive his grace and to tell other people 
about his grace, to be conduits of his grace to flow into our lives and out of our lives into the lives of other people. Did you know that Advent series starts next week? I want to encourage every single one of you to invite somebody to church during Advent. Invite somebody to come to church because I guarantee you something. I don't even have to know all your friends. I don't have to know everybody you know to make this statement. Somebody you know is secretly hoping that somebody they know will invite them to church. They don't have the courage to go on their own, but if somebody invites them to church, they'll accept accept that invitation. Our Advent series starts next week. It's titled, Do You See What I See? Did you hear me now? Do you see what I see? I didn't really realize that interesting connection until one of my kids pointed it out to me. But we're going to be looking at the Christmas story from a number of different spheres. And there are people in your life that probably fall into each one of those spheres. So invite somebody to church. They just might say yes. Invite somebody each week and your odds go up. Invite somebody to our Christmas Eve service. That's like, that's like the low-hanging fruit. People will come to Christmas Eve service if you invite them. They're hoping somebody will invite them. Maybe you could be the one. All right, number 10. Number 10, we praise God for his mercy. I love that grace and mercy are together. I love that right on the heels of verse 8 that talks about God being gracious is verse 9 and 10. He will not always accuse. He will not harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. Can I get an amen to that? That is good news. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. I am so thankful for that that we don't get what we deserve. That is the definition of mercy. If grace is getting what you don't deserve, mercy is when you don't get what you do deserve. Now, if I tear out of the parking lot here and I'm excited to get home and get in my recliner and watch a football game and I'm barreling down 57th at 50 miles an hour and a police officer rightly pulls me over and writes me a ticket for that, I would owe, I would have to pay the penalty for that sin, right? Right? But if I show up to pay that penalty and somebody, one of you wonderful people maybe, or somebody else has already gone down and paid the penalty for my sin, that's mercy. I'm not having to do what I deserve. I'm not getting what I deserve. I deserve to pay the fine. I I committed the sin. I committed the penalty. I ought to pay the, the penalty for that. But the good news of the gospel, the good news of grace, the good news of substitutionary atonement is that Jesus paid the penalty for our sin, all of it. All of it. That's mercy. We're not going to get what we deserve if we are in Christ. If we have come to him, if we have put our faith in him, if we have received the gift of grace that is available to us in him, then we don't get what we deserve. We get grace instead. I personally am very grateful for grace and for mercy. That's number nine, number 10. Number 11 is we praise God for his sovereignty. We see this in Most clearly in verse 19, it's also sort of by extension in verse 15 and 16. Verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. This is good news. God is in charge of everything. God is in charge of everything. It all falls under his sovereign will. And he, we're told in Romans 8, 28, will work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God is sovereign. You want to know the other part of that news that's that's good? I am not, and neither are you. In verse 15 and 16, we see that man, as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it's gone, and its place remembers it no more. We are not in charge of everything. 
despite what you might have been told, despite what you might have come to the conclusion yourself. God is sovereign over all. He has given us free will. As part of his sovereign will, he has given us free will, and we've made a mess of it. But he's going to work it all out because he's so good and he's so gracious and he's so merciful. If we're in Christ, if we have come to Christ and put our faith in Christ and confessed our sins and applied the blood of Christ as the payment for our sins, then we're not separated from him anymore. And in his sovereignty, he has made a way for us, even with the mess that we have made of our own free wills, for us to be reconciled to him, for us to come back to him, to be redeemed by him. And there will come a point in time, and this is very important if you zoned out. This is really important. There will come a point when free will is over. And there are no more decisions to be made. And what we have done with Jesus will determine where we spend eternity. And so if you or someone you love has not chosen Jesus, has not received the gift of grace that is available through Jesus Christ, then there is a shelf life to our free will, and there is a time at which free will is over. And that is very important because God is sovereign and he has made a way for everyone to come to him through faith in Jesus Christ. That is good news. So we praise God for his sovereignty. Last but certainly not least, number 12 is a little different. We praise God because everything else is, right? We praise God because everything else is. We see this in verses 20 through 22. Look at this. He says, Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Finishing this tour de force of praise with that reminder, that command to praise the Lord for himself. Everything else is praising God. David is commanding everything else to praise God. Psalm 148 tells us all creation, every part of creation is praising God. Psalm 149 tells us to sing a new song to God. And Psalm 150 lists all the different ways that we can praise God, all the different instruments, all the different ways that we can express our worship to God. Everything is praising God. Creation praises God. We might as well join in. And so the bottom line, in case you forgot it, is that God is so good. We've got to be grateful as we head into Thanksgiving. Let that thought just rest on you that God is so good that we've got to be grateful. And this praise always reestablishes our connection with him. That, that when we are feeling distance from God, we can praise him. We can begin to praise him. We can write out those prayers. Thank you, God, for, or God, I'm going to praise you for. And we can focus on one or two of these and praise him and we'll reestablish our connection with him. So think back to those practical how-tos. Is there one that you could use a little extra intention with, with the deciding to praise God, the desiring to praise God, the remembering to praise God? How can you build that into your life in the week ahead? And all these reasons that were listed, what did I miss? Search through the scriptures and try to find, is there something that you see there that I missed? And let me know about it because I'd love to hear it. I might have even left one or two on the table to see if you find it. So that's a challenge for some of you. But who can you tell? Who can you encourage? Who can you enlist to join you in praising God for one of these many reasons? May they be on the tip of your tongue in the week ahead and bring somebody along with you to praise God with you. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're so thankful. So thankful 
for the gift of praise. So thankful that praise always reestablishes our connection with you. We're so thankful that you are so good that we've just got to be grateful. We're so thankful for all of the reasons that we have to give you praise. We're so thankful for your forgiveness and healing, your redemption and love, your compassion, goodness, righteousness, your revelation, your grace, your mercy, your sovereignty. Don't let us be left out in the praise. We love you, Lord. We thank you for who you are, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.